Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 86 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Josh Brigham and Adam Morgan from Hope's Fall. Got to see this band when they first started in the 90s and have been friends with them ever since. I was so happy to hear about their recent news of reissuing some vinyl and brand new music. Josh, Adam, and I discussed the reasons behind the return, what's in store for the future, some embarrassing stories, and the eras Hope's Fall went through and what they learned. Plenty of inside jokes and laughs in this one for everyone to enjoy. If you haven't heard the band and want a starting point, check out Magnetic North or No Wings to Speak Of. This is episode 86 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Josh and Adam from Hope's Fall. Well, cool. Well, dude, thanks for uh, doing this all short notice and stuff, man. Yeah. So very exciting. You guys have a lot going on. We do. And it feels like in a very short amount of time, it's all coming down to the home stretch now. You guys have had this interesting history where you've you've had a bunch of releases and obviously member changes and things like that happen. And there's this renewed sort of interest in the era that you guys were sort of in. And Equal Vision kind of came to you guys um, about a release. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of the, um, the thing that people are interested that there was this demand for it and were you guys surprised to hear that there was a demand for this it's the satellite years right well there's a whole there's a whole lot going on actually um so we're reissuing the satellite years on vinyl uh and then we're a types and magnetic north were never released on vinyl so that's uh that's getting put out as well uh by equal vision and graphic nature. Uh, so the, and the story on how we got to, to that was Adam and I and Dustin. So Dustin was the guitar player with me on a types of magnetic North. And we all still live in Charlotte and me and Adam and Dustin would get together and write music and then go to bowling <laughs> league <laughs> on Thursday nights for a while and uh and we would just have band practice and go bowling 
And we would just write, and we had no, I don't know, no real, goal. real ambition. We were just like, we, we should do this. We play instruments. And so we've been, over the course of the last eight years, kind of, it, it, like, I mean, we would take a year off from playing or six months here or there and not play. And then we'd be like, guys, we really should play music. Like, I mean, we, ha- we have the skill set. Like, if we just took one night a week, why aren't we doing something like everybody can, there's no pressure. And so we just started putting this music together and I would send it to our old producer that did a types and magnetic North in long Island, Mike Watts. Um, who I like would rather call Mike twat during this interview. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause he'll hear it. And I, I want him to be insulted. Um, but, uh, he's, he's actually an awesome dude. And I would send in the demos and be like, man, cut us a sweet deal. <laughs> Let us come up and record for Super Chief, man. Like, come on, you know you love us. Because he's like one of those dudes that when we got in the studio with him the first time, it was like, we just looked at each other and we're like, oh, we're friends. <laughs> you know, like, just an immediate connection. Uh, and uh, it, so we always enjoyed each other's company. Um, and so he was like, do you mind if I show this music to people? And I've got friends in the industry, you know, I'm, I'm in the industry and we're like, sure, man, whatever. Nobody cares. Just give us a sweet deal. (laughs) Turns out somebody cared. (laughs) That's great. uh, So then we got on. Yeah. So Will, uh, um, Will and and Dan uh, decided to put together something so that we could get these old releases done. And I guess the big news is then, uh, put out a new record as well with all those new songs that we've been working on for a long time. So some new jams. Yeah. Whole album. What, what, what years were these from? No, no, no. I mean, these are all new songs. No, these are like, yeah, these are brand new. Like the, yeah. yeah, that nobody's heard. Ah, so these aren't Adam just Dustin. like, ah, these aren't just like shitty B sides that you guys left. These are, these are new jams. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're putting out four albums. Yeah, <laughs> right now. Wow, go through so them a- again. So A type, satellite, magnetic north, all on vinyl, and then uh, and then we're going to the studio. We're going back to New York in January to work with Mike Twat. And um, yeah, sorry, I'll stop saying that. I know it's not that funny. I'm not very clever. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so then when's the when Wait, is that going to come out uh, what did he say like, i think that's an unknown currently yeah we're, we're going to the studio in january so whatever lines up for them and their release schedules and stuff like that is when it'll come out and all would, of this is on equal vision well, and gra- graphic nature oh graphic nature so will will putney it's his label and Will and Dan, this is kind of like their their it, like passion project label where they're they want to do they want to do band they want to get bands out there and I guess they they were they both like Hope's Fall and uh, very gracious and and, and generous and and help, really been helpful. They made this thing happen. Like this music would have never surfaced without them. So world tour? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. No. I don't think touring is not really, and that was the thing. We were pretty upfront with those guys. Like, hey, we all have lives 
and careers now post band and we just wanted a creative outlet and they were like look we we want you to make music that's fantastic so yeah so we feel incredibly lucky and grateful for this opportunity <laughs> yeah it's hard to it's hard to get a label to back you with their money and pay for the recording and then you tell them oh yeah also by the way we're not going to go out on tour and uh support this yeah and they're like okay uh i think you know josh too with you being someone that was through the whole thing from pretty much beginning to end i'm sure there were little blips and um things like that and you know adam too and you have a long long time with it with a lot of member changes and things what about um does do you, do you remember back when it was uh you know obviously the good times and the bad times but i just think it's interesting to kind of take this roller coaster you got off and now you're jumping back on again um do those memories flood back from those times you know this is it's an interesting opportunity. Uh, it's, I'm trying to look at it differently. Like I think now because I have a life, I'm married, you know, and I have all these other things that are more of my focus. I, I really get to do this more out of enjoyment now. Whereas before it was like burning me up inside. Like I have to create, I have to play music. Like this is the only thing in my life that matters. And that's how I felt for nine years, <laughs> you know, doing it. Like, this was it. Like, this is life. And now it's, it's, it's fun to be able to say, hey, well, I, I am this other person with all these other interests and other things going on, but I still have this creative desire, and we're all here to be able to work on it. Um, so it's... It, it's fun to do again. I have to say, I, I've, I've been enjoying this a, a lot. Um, yeah, and I, I keep coming back to say, it's like I'm just grateful for the opportunity to get to scratch that itch, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, Adam? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't really – it feels a lot different this time around, I think, going back to what your question was, you know, does it kind of bring back the old feeling of uh, – when we first started, not, not really. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, gosh, I was, how old was I? 15, like 15 years old. I mean, good Lord. You know, I'm 30, what, five, 30, <laughs> 35 now, you know, um, yeah, just a lot. Yeah. I, I echo a lot what Josh says. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's just an overall, not nicer feeling or just it's different. Like Josh said, we were, we were trying to conquer the world and musically and, and that's what life was back then. But, uh, you know, with a wife and a kid and a, a job and everything, it's just, it's just, it's more like hanging out with the guys now when we go practice, having a beer, playing some music and, um, you know, the pressure's off and, uh, it, it certainly there is an aspect uh, that is a little more satisfying uh, doing it this way. So, but it's been it's been fun, and uh, I can't wait to get in the studio and and see this thing all the way through. I think we're all really excited. Did you guys now? There, there was a reunion in 2011 
which I flew down for to uh, North Carolina. That was super fun. Uh, were there any live recordings done of those, and are those going to be included somehow in any of these things? There, there may be some live recordings. There may be some audio from the boards for both of those reunion shows we did, but we're not – that hasn't even been brought up, really. It might be something to think about later on, but uh, you're no, welcome. That's not going to be included. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. As far as I know, though, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know who would have them, but I do know that someone uh, did a nice video of one or both of those shows, and they used the uh, the sound from the audio board, um, but. Who knows where it is now? And uh, I don't know. I can't remember how well we played. I don't know if I want that to come out. <laughs> I uh, I remember. It's funny um, that I watched the video on YouTube and was embarrassed. Because <laughs> like, I forgot that I jumped off the stage and no one caught me. And I hit the ground and it hurt. And I had to get back on stage. And then at one point, I realized that my fly was down in the middle of a song. It made me self-conscious. I had to like turn around and try to like zip my pants back up, like during the show. So I don't know if I really want that out there either. I'd happily talk about it, but great. <laughs> uh, I also yeah. find it. I mean, I'm definitely gonna find that video now. Everybody, pause the podcast and uh, to try to find the video. Uh, the starting out too. Really interesting, and I've talked about this on the podcast, and if you've listened, you probably heard me say this. Really interesting, late 90s, you know, we're at the show, we're at 533 Uprising, uh, the venue that you guys and we would all be at. No cell phones, everybody watching the show, uh, that time period. I mean, you guys were on a Christian punk label for you know dts records i mean i think that artwork for fairly words is you know is i will honestly tell you it's it's got awful but what else were you working with you know it's not like anybody had any crazy you know computers or anything like that and then obviously the early 2000s screamo as itself took off into a world so it's almost like you guys had this you know christian hardcore past and then it sort of swooped into this screamo era and there's all these bands that are kind of doing it talk to kind of that sort of sentiment of of kind of being somewhat of an elder statesman and then a lot of these bands kind of taking off you know um it's funny at the time if i'm totally honest about it i think i was resentful of uh the success of a lot of that 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 screamo scene like we would go and play warp tour and then i it, it just sounds so pretentious, babe. A band that you felt like were maybe somewhat derivative of what you were doing, and they're just blowing past you in merch sales, and like teenage girls are losing their minds over them and stuff. And we're like, "What happened? Like, <laughs> did we just miss the boat entirely?" And but I think it's the intention of bands. Sometimes um, we always set out to make good music. I think that that was. At the start of it, when we got together, it was like, we want to make cool music. And how we got into the Christian hardcore scene, because we all met in youth group because we were um, brainwashed in the South, like everybody else that grows up here. And, uh, and, we, and, and music was our, our common theme. 
And so we started playing. We're like, well, okay, we're a Christian band because we're borrowing like a practice space at the church sometimes and stuff like this. And we put out that record and we got the, that response and, and people bought into it. But then it started to feel disingenuous because people were like, are, we would notice it shows like, oh, you guys are a Christian band, right? And we're like, yeah, I guess. And they'd be like, okay, sweet, I'll buy your CD. And then we'd be like, people would ask me, we're like, are you a Christian band? And we're like, well, we're just a band. Like, we're, we're just a band. Like, that's what we are. Um, and then they'd be like, oh, well, then I'm not going to buy it because it's not Christian. And we were like, is this, this, isn't, this isn't why we're here. We're here to make music. And then we just started to kind of disassociate from that scene, even though we still toured with a lot of bands that were doing Norma Jean under us. Well, that was, a, that was also a huge point in our decision to sign with Trust Hill. Um, because at the time, uh, right before satellite, right before yeah, right before satellite years, um, we were going to uh, we were in negotiations with either Trust Kill or Tooth and Nail. So you had on one end the uh, super Christian uh, huge following from Tooth and Nail, and then on the other side you had Trust Kill, the exact opposite, and uh, we were just going back and forth, back and forth with contracts. And, and it finally came down. It, was, it, it came down to almost the exact same deal on both ends. And it was just a decision at that point to go with Trust Kill just to kind of distance ourselves from the, from the Christian uh, you know, music market. And um, so that, that was kind of a uh, – that was kind of a – it was important to us back then to distance ourselves from that. Um, now it's just like, man, whatever. We're just a band, <laughs> you know, label it, whatever you want, you know, like, but back then it was very important to us. We were like, we got to get away from that. You know, well, what, like, what, what we're, was, we're trying to do big time. Well, what was crazy is you were totally right about bands saying, or kids saying, I can't buy your music. I can't go to your show unless you say you're Christian or you are a Christian label or a band. And That's that, how we grew up. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV. I was only allowed to listen to Christian music. And so Ryan would make me tapes. Back, he would record tapes of the Pumpkins and Dinosaur Jr. and Helmet. And I would hide them under my mattress and like listen to him on my Walkman at night. And that's how I got into music. And, you know, it just seemed so ridiculous to have to hide your passion about something creatively because it didn't align with your belief system, which by the way, was invented by people, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I mean, it uh, is, it is interesting that that time, I mean, I, I was at school down there as well. I was from the Northeast, so I didn't have those. I mean, my parents, I mean, obviously were looking at what I bought, but it wasn't, if it wasn't a certain, you know, thing that couldn't, they just, you know, looked at the lyrics or were like, is this, you know, I was listening to a lot of metal, so they were, they were probably scared in another way. But the, the part of that scene down there, I wasn't, I was completely blown away when I met certain people that were, you know, really serious about the religion or, you know, took things to that, to that degree. And, you know, I think there was a kid that was at the school 
and he said that you know his mom found his Slayer records and burned them. And I was like, wow, there's a lot crazier bands than Slayer. Slayer's like the Disney of of metal. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, so the so it was just the, you know that extreme and for you guys you know you said listening to it under your bed or being able to um you know have a friend that would help you know give you music um to be able to do that uh it just seems again it's crazy now because you have access to so many things um and that back then again it was a physical you had to have someone bring it to you or you had to find it um it wasn't readily available exactly and you know I think about that a lot. I like to think about the the the, the journey of finding music uh, when we were growing up, as opposed to the kids today. And uh, it, it the payoff was so much more satisfying uh, when your when your buddy, you know, brought you something and you discovered it that way, or you're reading the liner notes from some of your other favorite bands and you looked at their thank you list and, you know, it might've been like a mineral CD or, and they were like, Oh, you know, thanks for the promise ring. And, and, you know, Texas is the reason. And, and you're like, Ooh, gotta, gotta look these up, you know, gotta go through the mail, mail order catalog, take a chance on some of these just because my, one of my favorite bands mentioned them and, you know, you couldn't just hop on, hop online and, uh, click the play button and listen to the whole album and decide whether you liked it. You just had to take a chance, you know, and, uh, zines, uh, distros that, that was really big since we were playing lots of shows back then. <clears throat> there'd always be a kid, you know, like the, uh, just kind of like the guy in that city for, for, for his scene that would have a, a fold-out table set up with uh, cardboard boxes filled with CDs and seven inches and LPs and stuff. And, uh, you know, you talk to him after the show and he'd kind of let you know what was good. And, um, and that was, I don't know, there's something, something real special about discovering music that way as opposed to now. It's, 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 uh, it sounds kind of corny, and, um, but, you know, like the journey you know, is the reward yeah, type of thing. Not the like, destination. Yeah, like, but like finding, going through that process, like sifting through it. And at that age, when you're a teenager, you're so passionate about it. And you're like, this is the best thing. And you just imagine, like, what are their lives like? Oh, my <laughs> God. They must be living in a van, like driving around the country, doing all this awesome shit. And, <laughs> and they're just, it's the same guys on the other side of the country just, like, delivering pizza, you know, being like, God, what's it like being out there, you know? It's, a, it, it's just so fun to look back at that time. It was so exciting just to find music. Uh, you just, it just, it, you were just like your whole body was on fire when you found something. Yeah. It was great, that feeling, that passion. That's what, I don't know, that's what burned us up. That's what we had to get into music. We had to do this. Like, we had to feel this way. Uh, it was exciting back then. It really was fun. Yeah. Since you guys are out of it, you want to name check some shitty bands back then? Or if not, it's fine. I will. Um... <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> no, you guys first. <laughs> <laughs> Give us an example. I'm saying, like, so many of those tours, it just, it seemed, again, the 
the word screamo means something completely different in that you know early early 2000s mm-hmm. versus when i think you guys and i were looking at distros and uh you know there was so much metal in influence with it um there was you know the the payoff of 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 the breakdown um and then at that time the other piece of it is that as that was happening in warp tour you know no one was talking about um you know if it was the bands that were sort of a little bit before it um you know it's not like any of these bands would have talked to me back then uh for a podcast they were they were reclusive and running away as far as they could but you guys were in it at that time when there was a big boom to the word emo and you know screamo yeah it's this now oh my god people have green swoopy hair and eyeliner and just I don't know, like glam somehow got smashed into what was originally this authentic expression. Um, so we did a lot of tours. So Adam, um, he he left the band right before we went to do A-Types. And um, that was in 2004. And we really toured hard between 2004, 2004, 2005. Basically from 2002 to 2005, we were just on the road. And we we're getting put on a lot of package tours um, that made sense. It was like, all right, these guys are on this label. They're drawing a thousand people. You're drawing 200 people. Did you want to go open for this band and play for a thousand people? And the answer is yes. We want to play for a thousand people every single night. Um, but the take action tour, I think was probably the one that I look back on. I had so much fun on this tour on a personal level, but it's like, we're packed in there with, uh, Hawthorne Heights. Um, what was that? Oh, the punk band from LA. Um, there was the early November Hawthorne Heights. Like, not, not them. Um, geez, they had a big hit. Oh my God. Now I can't even remember. But, um, anyway, it was just like, dude, none of this music is, would get me out to this show. Is how I would think. Like none of this music would get me out to this show. And I was just like, why are we here? Well, we're playing to 1,500 people a night, and it's going over everybody's head. And at the time, you know, we were just living that life. Like, we're in a van, we're partying, we're having fun, we're playing our instruments. A lot of people are showing up. And we, I don't think we, we kind of had the sense that we were maybe missing our audience, but we didn't know what else to do. Um, we were like, all right, well, we're getting these big tour offers. We got to go take them. We got to go play Warp Tour. And I remember being so demoralized on Warp Tour 2005 um, because we're on this little side stage, and maybe a hundred people would come and see us every time. And like right next door, you've got you know Fallout Boy playing to ten thousand people, and you're just like, man, those kids were in hardcore bands, like. And now they're this. And what happened? Like, what happened? It just felt like the world passed us by. But our, we were just trying to g- stay genuine to our creative desires. We were wanting, we were there to make music. And it felt like that scene was, it was, it had become big business. It was there to make money, to sell an image, to capitalize on the now. Like, what is the trend right now? How do we sell these things right now? 
And that was not on our mind. We were like, man, we got to write cool shit. Like, why is this not cool here? And that was just massively demoralizing. Uh, And, you know, I got really disillusioned. And I think that, you know, that's how I, and that's when I started breaking away from, I think, music. That's why I started, like, envisioning myself as something else. Like, this thing I'm a part of isn't a reflection of who I am anymore. Like, there is nothing genuine here. Um, I don't know. Am I answering your question, dude? I think I'm yes. just kind of rambling. <laughs> yes, you are. I think that, that that's what I was trying to get at. I mean, the you and I would see each other, and there would be times where you'd be stoked and reading a fantasy novel and uh, telling me about a bunch of stuff, and there'd be other times where you were just like, I'm going to go to the van and we're going to get out of here. You know, it just, and again, and that's with anybody touring, but I think the, 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 it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the, the doldrums of touring. It was this up and down of things happening and you feeling these certain ways. And it is, I mean, there's a reason why there's professional booking agents and professional, uh, publicists for emo nights is because it makes a fuckload of money. Um, and I took that same route where I'm not going to just do it just to say that it's a night and play the 12 songs people want to hear. Um, there's more to that. And I think you guys were in that same boat where, yes, you understood what was popular, but you still had this desire of, well, this is what I'm into. And they kind of didn't overlap as, again, other bands could be doing it genuinely, genuine, gen, wow, it's too early. Um, but that, uh, that, that, that feeling, yes, it could have been that way, but overall it just, you're right. This, these just more and more people kept showing up that it was like, oh, this is business. And (laughs) this is a little different than just going down to the show and giving, giving the guy at the door five bucks. Yeah. And I was at the time I was too immature and too, lost in my own head and the and, and like i couldn't see the trees from the forest back then i was just it just started making me angry and and like i just i just withdrew into myself and uh you know and then the band you know the band we all of us everybody in the band felt that way um and we've had a lot of member changes over the years but i think that it's interesting when I look back at all the people that contributed on records, like we all were riding the same waves, you know, on that, on, on that topic. We we're looking for something genuine, something real, you know? And, uh, you know, it felt like that got lost and we were trying hard to, to keep it. I'm so lame to say it, like keep it real for ourselves and keep ourselves like keep pushing ourselves creatively. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. That's what I got for you on that one. (laughs) So for the new stuff, the new jams, is this, is this all going to sound like smashing pumpkins and ride? Like, what are you guys going to throw at us? (laughs) Actually, it's probably, it's probably, probably going to be the most riffy, uh, record that Hope Spall's ever done because when we um, when we when me and Josh and Dustin you know came back together and uh, 
decided to start playing again, you know. Uh, we just started writing music, and we didn't have a bass player. And, uh, you know, Jay lived in Chicago, and we kind of weren't even thinking about a vocalist that early on. And we were just playing music that kept us entertained. So without a bass in the writing process, we had to come up with shit that was just fun to play. And that stuff ended up being very riffy because, you know, a lot of, a lot of Magnetic North, um, the bass held down a lot of the, the melody and the rhythm. And uh, it left Josh and Dustin able to just kind of create textures and twinklies and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> this is, this is definitely going to be a lot riffier. It's still got, uh, you know, some aspects of, I guess that hum and smashing pumpkins kind of, you know, touches to it that influenced all of us, you know, from day one. But uh, I, I think people will, I think people will hear a very familiar sound and they will say that, yes, that's, that's Hope's Fall in this new record. So it's, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel or anything. So it's, it, and it's, as far as the lineup goes, it's the exact same lineup that played on Satellite Years, except Switch Ryan out with Dustin, and it's the same lineup. So, um, yeah, not, nothing. I don't think anything's gonna really shock anybody or or anything like that when they hear the new stuff. Tom, uh, it, it's. Uh... I think the, the common theme, if I could look back at Hopesfall and look at all of our music, I would say it's big riffs, dark melodies, and spacey themes. If I could just fill it down. That's you the know? back of the t-shirt. That is the back of the fucking t-shirt. <laughs> That's the pre-order shirt. I'm serious. Right now, I'm giving you marketing ideas. I already gave you a live album to add to the digital pre-order. Now you're going to add this t-shirt. Put that as Hopesfall on the front. Use the DTS logo. Um, and then throw the, and then throw the. Uh, that was horrible, guys. The whole layout. <laughs> I love it. Oh man! It, it was... Yeah. So that sound wise, I think that that theme is still the same. Um, big riffs, dark melodies, man. No, hold That's on, it. hold on. Big riffs, dark melodies. What was the last one? Spacey themes. Space, space themes. Space themes. Space themes. Space. Space. Big riff, dark melody, space. <clears throat> Trademark. I think that's a great t-shirt. I, we want our music to inspire you to contemplate the vastness of the universe. Or marketing. <laughs> that's just so pretentious. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh is your is your is your MySpace page still up? Are you guys going to reload that? What's what's the deal? Are you going to have a lot of updates, or are you going to use the label socials for it? I think it's. Uh, I think we're going to get that GeoCities website back up and running. That's smart. <laughs> I'm sure the SEO is great on that right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We. I, I mean, I guess we'll. I guess we'll dive into this uh, Facebook and Instagram thing. I don't. I don't know. That that's another thing that we we could go into uh on and on. Hold on. <laughs> um yeah, this is you know, back then when we were uh writing and recording and touring, we didn't have that tool available to us. And uh this time around we do and it's uh it's 
it's going to be interesting to figure out how to use that correctly. I, I mean, I, I love Instagram. I love Facebook, just personally speaking. But uh, I don't know. It, it, I guess it's about I, – I thought it would be easy to just run stuff through Instagram, the stuff that the band was doing. But I'm do you uh, – let me ask you, Tom, since you're in this, is when a band is Instagramming, do you have to – coordinate everything with the labels and like kind of get permission or what? Like I just, if it was up to me, I'd just be throwing up pictures all day long. But I think, I don't know know how from the, from the label perspective, depending on the band, if it's a new artist, you're having that understanding with the label and the management about, all right, what things are sort of we're way, Hey, you, by the way, this specific song or, this thing or this artwork we're launching on this day and we're doing this. So you kind of have a whole map of your plan. Yes. If you're putting up you guys hanging out in the studio or you want to tease a certain thing, that's fine. But I think when it's those, those specific songs, like I wouldn't Instagram everything, every little riff. Like I think it's sort of a, someone kind of said to me once, like, you know, people that talk about a book, never write a book. So if you guys are, you know, writing, it's more of focus on that and have little pieces that sort of you see the backstory, not necessarily the music. So I guess I sort of answer your question, not, but that understanding with everybody on what's what things are part of the plan. And yeah, I don't think I, I think if an artist is out there and they're Instagramming, they're not running everything by the label that that's their voice. That's their own way of doing things. Um, right. So I think you guys can do the same thing. Okay. Yeah, it's it's strange. I love using Instagram personally, and uh, but to to make this switch over from just something that's non you know non business oriented, I'm just me doing what I want just for fun, and then changing up the account and going over to the Hoaxfall one, and I have to. I don't know. Well, here's a. It's interesting. Yeah, I had to. Someone had my buddy that I do the DJ night with. He kind of was like, hey, do you realize that people follow what you say? You have to watch what you have to say. And until he said that, I wasn't paying attention. I was just posting whatever, and I now have to realize that because there are things that I'm told, or there's things that I know ahead of time, or someone has uh, confided with me on a certain thing, and I'm not going to say something until X date, or you kind of have to have that filter as well. Like okay, I'm not I'm not going to do that because um, it's not ready to be out there, right? Yeah, not, you have a responsibility. Yes, there we go. See, Josh, that's, that's why you're here. Josh, that's why you're here. It's it's to just <laughs> to to take my forty minute discussion and just say, Tom, it's about responsibility. <laughs> Truly, what it comes down to, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone hasn't noticed, I know these people for a little bit, so I can make fun of them. I can make fun of their packaging. I can make fun <laughs> Yep. Yep. Dude, dude, that dude, first that, album, the first album was Yeah, if you, you look fucking break, man. If you, if you just looked at it, if you just looked at the artwork, man, you would think we were like Midwest crying on every song emo band. Yeah. Like, it was like a baby blue cover with black and white little square photos of like what was like gray, gray, graveyard. Scene. Yeah, like, but no, were you guys at a bus station for one of the photos? Yes, yeah. Julie T took our picture. Remember at the bus station uptown in Charlotte? Shout out to Julie T. Yep. Uh, yeah, guys, we and, got this great idea. 
Everybody get in the Ford Tempo. We're going to the bus station. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go downtown to get a cool picture. Like, yeah. Downtown is cool. They've it's got a... art down there, dude. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of corporate art. Let's get some cool pictures in front of it. <laughs> Behind the scenes, uh, Jay and Roe, um, uh, they managed us for maybe like eight years or so. Those guys really believed in us, and they put up their own money to keep us on tour sometime when the label would pull out promised tour support. Like, for example, we're in Europe 13 days into a tour, and the label said, hey, I'm going to make your bus payments, you know, on this day. This is the tour support money. And then you're halfway through the tour, and they call, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to make the payments anymore. So you guys can either keep touring or come home or pay for it yourselves. And we're just like, what? Wow. Like, you can do that to people? It, it, like, what the fuck is this? And our fucking managers, like, took out loans to keep us on the road. So, uh, shout out to those guys. They, they, they took a bath with us. But every, it seemed like everybody else made money. How great was Go 533 ahead. Uprising? Come on. What a shithole. Dude. Oh, it was amazing. Dude, you remember we saw Jimmy World and at the drive-in there? And Lazy and, Kane. Like, yeah, what a fucking sweet show. There were so many good shows back in like Converge, Dillinger, Cave-In back in the day. Hot Water. Joshua, too. That was first time I ever heard Joshua, we played with him, and I still love that fucking band. Do you know Dan has a studio um, uh, in Westchester or somewhere up north of New York, and he uh, he and I have kept in touch, and he actually masters uh, a bunch of records. Did you know, did were you ever into Joshua and the you know whole new theory album? Of course, hell yeah. Did you know they had another album come out after that, like a few maybe like a few years ago or something? Like in, maybe it was 2012. I can't remember. But they just did it real, real quietly. Put it on Bandcamp, pressed an album, and it sounds awesome. But I mean, a, a lot of people have no idea that that album exists. You know what's so funny is that when you turn Joshua Band into uh, Google, a Christian metal band comes up. <laughs> oh, God, Joshua, that's a perfect name for a Christian metal band. Shut the fuck up, Adam. My name's Joshua. <laughs> that's so good. Right, I love that. So I, I don't come up on Google when you put Joshua in? No, you don't. Um, no. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll have to look yeah. into that. Yeah. Right. We're going to talk to Google. The- you know, is there anything else that everybody can look out for? What are you guys excited about? I guess just to sum it up, uh, if if you're a vinyl collector, it seems to be like these days that uh, that's kind of the only physical format that people really buy. It. I don't know. You're in the industry. I don't know. Do people still buy CDs, or is that like do do a lot of labels still press like massive amounts of CDs? Yes. Or do they make? Yes. Okay. Well. For the vinyl collectors out there, there's not going to be any CD reissues, but um, they are going to take each album, the Satellite Years, Magnetic North, A-Types, and they're going to be, I think, pretty limited, uh, you know, considering what kind of scene we're in and how how long it's been since these albums have been released. Um, but there's going to be 500 total of, of each record. I'm excited um, specifically for... Well, I'm excited that all of them are coming back out, but I guess the the really cool thing is, is that Will and Dan were willing to go back and get Magnetic North remastered, and there were some songs that we wrote for that album 
one in particular called Saskatchewan that got cut by Truskill without, it was without my knowledge. And that was really one of the things that broke the camel's back. I was like, I put all this effort into this music and then you dictate what makes the fucking album cut. Fuck you, you know? And, uh, but so they're actually putting it out the way we envisioned it with that song. It's kind of the, it was the eighth track. It's kind of like the linchpin. It was like the turning point of the record. And, uh, and there was also a, a, a bonus track that we recorded that uh, we, we just ran out of time. We never did vocals on it, but we thought the music was badass. So that's on there too. So there's going to be two extra songs on Magnetic North that were recorded during the session. Um, that have never seen the light of day officially. It's like even you can look for it out there on YouTube and stuff. So I'm, uh, you know, I feel like I can lay that one to bed. Like, like I'm, I'm happy that the album will exist the way we envisioned it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think too, well, the last time I think, you know, we've hung since you've stopped being in the band, but I didn't think you'd pick up a guitar again. So for you to take that, uh, and play again and be happy about it. I think that's also a nice win. I, I, yeah, I am happy. And I did say like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done being in a band. I'm ready to like create a new me and figure out what the hell I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And, uh, and then it all just kind of fell back into place with this. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, and we talked to the other band members about it that aren't in it anymore. Ryan in particular, like, dude, is this cool? Like, if we use this name, you know, like, this is the only way we're going to get this music out there. And it's cool if we don't, you know. It was, it was literally like that. And, uh, yeah, I'll add something, too, uh, since we're on the podcast and it, you know. Um, you know, when you, see, when you hear a lot about bands coming back from the past and doing a new album or they're going on tour, you know, like At The Drive-In or Promise Ring or uh you know bands like that the, the first thing you you tend to read on the comment sections are are people that claim to know that oh it's a cash grab it's fucking cashing it this is not the case um we you know we're doing this out of the love of playing music together and um and it's <laughs> there are no no uh connotations of getting any money off of this and um and quite fact the opposite we've spent quite a lot of money uh you know uh doing this so just to nip that in the ass yeah right off the bat this is not this (laughs) yeah this isn't that this is you know it it is great to me and again as i say dan tanshaw and will putney giving us this opportunity like we're we feel privileged that we get to go back to a professional studio (laughs) as a part-time band and, and work with great people. Um, this is just, this is just, we get to express ourselves in this format. And I, you know, we're just extremely excited about that. Like I, I am so proud and so looking forward to being able to just release another piece of art out into the world and just let it take its own course, you know, just like, you know, it gave birth to it, and then it just grows up and goes its own way. And who knows? You know, who knows the conversations we'll have about this five years from now? But it'll be fun, right? It's going to so, be awesome. I, 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 I have a request for the new record. Can you throw in an Easter egg 
Uh, can you throw in a riff from Shines Through? Just somewhere in the new record. Just throw a riff in there. Dude, there's some riffs in there, man. It's all riffs. No, I want you to steal riffs, one. Man. I want you to steal one from Shines Through. I want you to throw it in a new one. Not tell anybody. And just tell me after. Is it acceptable? This brings up a good question. Is it acceptable to plagiarize yourself? I, I think for that record, yes. Well, no, I'm asking you your, your opinion, and larger than this. Is, is that acceptable for bands to rip themselves off? Doesn't No Effects do that every record? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think you just answered the question there. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> well, we do, we do have one more song that needs to be written. So I think Tom... Uh, I'm telling you, Shine Through, guys. The guys, if, if, uh, search it on the internet. It's a great... I love that song. I do. I really do. It's it's why I started liking your band. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Uh, I thought it was because we both liked Helmet. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> oh, I have an embarrassing... I have a really good embarrassing story. Like, I have really great embarrassing stories about myself because I remember the utter terror and shame I felt when it happened. One time at Furnace Fest, Jacob Bannon, I was walking past the Converge merch table, and he just looked at me and he's like, dude, can you take us to the gas station? Do you have a car here? And I was like, yeah. He's like, can you take us to the gas station to, like, get some food? And I was like, yeah, dude, absolutely. And so it's like half the Converge gets in my car. They, don't, You know, I don't know these guys. They don't know me. And I'm like, shit, dude, like, are they going to play, um, you know, uh, the first track, the first track off uh, Petitioning the Empty Sky? Um, the saddest day. You know what I'm talking about, Tom? The saddest day. Saddest day. But instead of saying, like, dude, are you guys going to play the saddest day? I was like, guys, are you guys going to play Petitioning the Empty Sky tonight? Like, the whole album? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, like, afterwards, they all just kind of looked at each other and looked at me and they're like, yeah. And then they just talked to themselves. They didn't talk to me the rest of the time. Yeah, really. you fucked up. And I went back to the merch table. <laughs> I went back to the merch table afterwards. And I was like, dude, in the car when I said, but did you, I meant, are you guys going to play the Saturday? And they're like, oh, yeah, we are. And I was like, all right, okay, bye. <laughs> were you guys at oh, the, were you guys, <laughs> that's a good one. Were you guys at Earth Crisis when, uh, it was with Sub Zero and Downset where I lost my voice singing along to Downset. But Earth Crisis, I yelled a song that they already played, and Carl called no! me out. Carl called me out, and I just like I flipped him off, and then like stage dove as they played another song that I didn't care about. Um, <laughs> but I yelled a song they already played. <laughs> oh God. It was oh, ecocide. What, what? It was like I want. I wanted ecocide, and I didn't realize they played it because all their songs sound alike. <laughs> <laughs> what year was this? This was in college. This was uh, nineties, seven or eight, at least ninety-seven or ninety-eight. Oh, awesome. I love embarrassing show stories like that. I think yours is good that you went back. Like you went back to I the table back. and and tried yeah, to rectify it. And the the bass player dude that probably just like, oh, get away. Yeah, <laughs> probably. And 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 honestly, I probably would have. 
I feel like I would have been a little more gracious if a fan did that to me. I'd be like, yeah, dude, yeah, of course, man. No, I'm going to mess it up all the time. But maybe it's because I'm so horrible at those types of situations. Yeah. And just I get to what I think is rock bottom, and I'm like, nope, we can dig deeper <laughs> into this hole of shame. <laughs> That was fun. I remember, you know, it, it, it's, it's like humbling a little bit to like remember that because it's like, we're like, what's wrong with these shitty kids? We were shitty kids. <laughs> you know? We were trying to impress each other, you know, scared and insecure, just like acting out. Like, we were a bunch of assholes. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't have cell phones, so I feel like we're a little bit above. Right. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thanks, Tom. All right, I'll see you at 533 Uprising later. We'll be there. <laughs> see you guys. All right, yeah. brother. Take it easy. See you. Good talking to you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to support, head on over to Washed Up Emo. And buy some stickers or buttons. Or head over to our Threadless store, washedupemo.threadless.com, with shirts for men, women, and children, plus frame art, pillows, and I shit you not, shower curtains. Styles like Make Emo Great Again and In Kinsella We Trust, your emo home needs are all there. And there's our Patreon page that you can support each month. And for the cost of $0, you can leave a nice review on iTunes for the podcast. Whatever you want to do. Finally, reach out anytime on any of the social networks and shoot me a note. Also, admin at washedupemo.com. Email me anytime. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com